Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Tightrope, nothing personal word of the day. It is Wednesday, June 21st, 2023, and the word is tightrope. We have a lot to get to today. We're going to talk about some basketball. We're going to get to what's going on around the Titanic, but we're starting with the tightrope that is the AL East in Major League Baseball. It's always the division that is the focus of the commissioner's office. It's the focus of the networks. It's the focus of the owners. Everybody wants to win the American League East. They want to be the champion. They want to deal with the Yankees or they want to be the Yankees or they are the Yankees. Every single network wants to show Yankees and Red Sox. The tightrope is what these teams have to start walking as we enter the halfway point of the season. Hard to imagine that baseball is halfway done Within a week, every team will have played 81 games. The All-Star game happening in July is not the halfway. It is the All-Star break. You are deep into your season. The trade deadline this year is August 1st. So we are approximately a little over a month. Call it 41 days until the trade deadline. So I wanted to give you an update what was going on in the minds, bodies and spirits and souls of these teams in the American League East as they try to figure out who's gonna be left without a chair. And in this case, a chair is a playoff spot. There is a thought that the American League East could take up a division winner. One gets in the playoffs, of course. Thank God for that, or else everybody in the AL Central would be going home in August. But if you win the division, you're in. Then there's three wildcard teams. That means you could have four teams in one division make the playoffs. And the thought was the American League East could be that division. You've got the Rays running away with the division. There's nothing to say about the Rays as they go to their deadline. They're not going to take on money. They have an opportunity. If they want to add, they may add. Why? Look what happened with Tyler Glasnow. Their pitching is superior, but not perfect. You want depth. You want another bullpen arm, a bat off the bench. Their everyday players are pretty much set. But that's not their focus right now. Their focus is on their stadium situation and whether or not their team's going to be sold. You've got the Orioles, who are in a place where no one thought they'd be. Second place, five and a half games up in the wild card. Maybe even able to catch the Rays only four back. They are dealing with a potential sale. They're dealing with a dispute with the Washington Nationals. Very focused on that. You've got the Yankees where they've just been an unmitigated disaster. Aaron Judge got hurt and no one has picked up the slack. Brian Cashman had to meet the media, which he did. And we'll get to that. You've got the Blue Jays, my pick to win the division, sitting 10 and a half games back. 
despondent beyond repair. Got a win in Miami last night in front of 9,809 people. Mark Shapiro and the front office are trying to figure out, are they going to add the bat that they need or not, given that Rodgers has already given them a huge amount of money. And then, of course, we've got LeBron James, John Henry, and Tom Werner, the owners of the Boston Red Sox, wondering, are they going to have another last place team? And if they need to fire Chaim Bloom, their chief baseball officer, who basically is only doing what he was told to do in terms of getting under the luxury tax. But meanwhile, their last place record happens to be better than the first place record in the central, which is looked at by not one owner. Let me just put that aside so you never think about it again. Don't think that inside a front office, you get to say to your boss, hey, I know we're in last place, but do you know if we were in the other division, we'd be in first place? Who cares? That's the answer. Do you know that if we had an easier schedule, our strength of schedule is the fourth hardest. That's why we're in last place. Who cares? Do you have any idea the number of games we've missed to injuries and the number of people we have on the injured list? Who cares? Here's a good one. Do you believe we've got four guys totally underperforming with what we expected? And if those guys turn it around, and they will, we wouldn't be in last place. Who cares? You're in last place. Let's start with the race. Started off, thought was they'd win 155 to 172 games this year. Never gonna lose. Sell out the stadium every game. Nope, they're 27th in attendance. Get their stadium deal announced and done because they're so good. Nope, no stadium deal announced. The focus has been totally on Oakland. What exactly is Stu Sternberg, the owner of the Rays, doing? Well, I'll tell you what he's not doing. He's not selling. That's according to Stu Sternberg himself. When an owner says he's not selling, it simply means they haven't gotten the price that they want. Jerry Jones is not even an exception. Jerry Jones may say he's never selling until sovereign funds offer him $29 billion. He'd sell it within five seconds. It'd be irresponsible not to sell it in five seconds with an offer like that. There are people who are offering right now to buy the raise. They won't promise not to move the team the way that the owners of the Brewers, when they, excuse me, 4869, the way the owners of the Bucks, when they bought it from Senator Herb Cole, part of the promise was in the agreement, they will not move. No such thing with the Tampa Bay Rays because you don't know. What interests me about it is a quote that came out yesterday about the Rays that seems too strange to be true. Of course, it's a source, but there is a rumor that there was a Tampa area businessman who offered interest in the Rays. We used to get offers unsolicited all the time on the Marlins. How would we know that an offer was coming in on the Marlins? My phone would ring and my assistant Beth would say, hey, you've got John Doe on the phone. I would say, who's John Doe? John Doe would come and I'd pick up, I'd say, hello, John. Hey, any thought that Jeffrey has of selling the team? 
Well, no, the team's not for sale, but we're always happy to listen. Always. Everybody. So this guy puts an offer in on the team, apparently. He's a wealthy guy in Tennessee. Interesting. Trip Miller, founder of Tennessee-based hedge fund, Glenn Capital. They may be mounting a bid for the team. Would that be to move to Nashville? Apparently, they're willing to offer $1.85 billion. The Rays aren't going to sell for $1.85. Stuart Sternberg's been in it too long to sell at $1.85. But here is the interesting part. A senior-level Rays executive who sourced, which bothers me, said, I hadn't heard about this until you emailed it. And he was talking to front office sports. It's hogwash. Your job, unless it's a senior person in baseball analytics, but as president of the team, owner of the team, and then our head of communications, PJ, there is not an unsolicited offer that would come in that the three of us would not know about. You have to know your information, otherwise you're not doing your job. Stu Sternberg has continued to protest almost on a daily basis, including in response to this last one, where he said, interesting, listen to the quote that he said, which is strange again, because they're negotiating with St. Petersburg. But he said that we are, and I lost my place, I expect we will build a ballpark in Tampa that will keep the Rays here for generations to come I also plan on remaining the Rays owner. Everybody plans on doing what they're doing until they're not doing it anymore. That's the nature of it. I plan on being the owner. I plan on passing this down for generations. Why would he say I plan and expect to build a ballpark in Tampa when they're doing their negotiating in St. Petersburg? Is that like down in Florida when you used to say, hey, where are you from, Miami? Hey, where in Miami? And you say, oh, Fort Lauderdale? Is that the relationship between Tampa and St. Petersburg? Where when you live in St. Petersburg, are you playing St. Petersburg? Hey, where are you from, Tampa? The name of the team is Tampa. Maybe it's the Tampa area. Maybe it's just the west coast of Florida. But I think you gotta be careful with your quotes because if you're negotiating to get public money, which they are, from St. Petersburg, you may wanna give them some loving. Like when we change the name of the team from Florida Marlins to Miami Marlins, I wonder whether one of the conditions of public money will be, it's not the Tampa Rays, it's the St. Petersburg Rays. The reason why they won't ask that is baseball and the commissioner's office was perfectly fine with Florida going to Miami because it was state to city specific. So you felt as though there was gonna be ownership of that team in the area. And the reason why they were called the Florida Marlins to begin with is that Wayne Huizinga wanted them to be Florida's team all of Florida's team. He didn't like Miami, didn't want a team to be the Miami Marlins. So Tampa's got that situation. How do I think this ends? It ends with Stu Sternberg getting the ballpark built, getting the ballpark opened, and then selling. And the number will start with a two, not a 1.85. So the Rays are gonna continue on their way in first place. What about those Orioles? I gotta give credit to Peter Angelos who hasn't been able to run the team in years. I'm not sure he can even communicate anymore. 
I'm not sure he's alive, really. They're keeping him alive. The Angelo sons have been involved in litigation against each other. Go back to past episodes and listen to talk about that that I've done. Terribly sad. The mother and one of the sons against the other son, and then it was settled, but it's just been a giant disaster. Even when Peter Angelos was there, they were very difficult to deal with. When Peter Angelos is there hovering, but not really there, they've been even more difficult. But one thing they've done well, they have put stability on the field and in the front office in a way that Peter Angelos normally would not have done. When you've got Mark Elias who had the ability to turn the team around and get players, young players, choose a manager named Brandon Hyde and stick with him, how many times with your favorite team is there one guy who's in charge of the rebuild and then that guy gets fired and they bring in someone else when it's time to win? That standard operating procedure, it totally sucks for the person who's there when you're losing 100 games. But guess what? Brandon Hyde is still there. They've committed to Brandon Hyde, and the Orioles are now winning games with great young players. You'll have a chance if you watch the All-Star game this year to see their starting catcher, who will be the starting catcher, maybe the best closer in the game. They just are a great team, great deep team with a low payroll. They were in the news yesterday, though, because... There was a settlement with the Washington Nationals over their dispute of the network. Again, previous segments on it, but let me tell you why this matters. The way it worked when the Orioles allowed the Nationals to exist and move from Montreal, there was a network started called Masson. Masson was owned and controlled by the Orioles. That was the gift given to the Orioles but the Orioles had to pay rights fees to the Nationals. They agreed on rights fees only for the first term, but then agreed they would do market adjustments after that. So that was the Nationals TV deal was unclear, but it will be market. And it has led to a decade, it seems, of litigation, which has led to the Nationals not being able to be sold by the Lerner family because no one buying the Nationals, no candidate, even Ted Leonisis, who wants to buy the Nationals, doesn't know what to pay, doesn't know what the TV money is. The Orioles are going to sell, but again, until they know what their liability is in the mass and dispute with the Nationals, it's very hard to get the number you want. So what's held up the sale of two teams? There was a settlement for a five-year period. They've been doing this in five-year periods. All that happened yesterday was a settlement covering the period of 2012 to 2016. Now comes the hard part. They've got to figure out what the market is and was from 17 to 22. And that's both COVID and that is the downfall of the regional sports networks. So Masson on its own is not worth what it was worth. The Nationals are not going to get the money they thought they were going to get. Neither are the Orioles. So while it was a nice announcement that there was a settlement for that five-year period of 16 to 21, it is not by any stretch the end of the issue between the Orioles and the Nationals. And that has impact over the sale of the teams, but it doesn't have impact over the play of the teams. The Nationals still stink and the Orioles are still good. So that's their focus. How about the AL East with the Yankees? We just covered the Yankees and Hal Steinbrenner last week after the owners meetings. They sent out Brian Cashman to talk again 
because the Yankees have been so bad without Aaron Judge. They've had him, Aaron Judge, I think, has been out since June 3rd, and he's missed a bunch of games. He's missed 24 games. The Yankees have won 10 of the 24, but they don't hit and they don't score when Aaron Judge is not playing. That's the real problem. And what was interesting about the whole situation is that Brian Cashman had an opportunity to talk and respond to media's questions. Hey, why are all the guys you're paying so much money to? How come they can't hit? How come the Yankees aren't scoring? So Brian Cashman had to say, I'm happy with their commitment. I'm happy with their care. And ultimately, I know I'll be happy with their end results. What a guy. Maybe that's how you stay in New York for 20 plus years is you just lie through your teeth because you know that Steinbrenner is not giving you the money to go over the luxury tax threshold, the Steve Cohn tax. You know that you've got a payroll that's the second highest in the sport. You know that your team is paying an exorbitant amount of that payroll to a guy who's missed 24 games. And you know you're paying another exorbitant amount to several people who are underperforming. For people who are criticizing Giancarlo, I have disclosed my relationship with him. He is not a 200 hitter. He is the type of player who has these streaks, but when he gets hot, he alone, forget Aaron Judge, he alone can carry your team and he is not aged past those streaks. But the Yankees are so busy paying so much money to so few players that they have to work in some rookies definitionally, or else they would be over the Steve Cohn tax. And the biggest rookie they tried to work in this year was the shortstop, the new Jeter, Anthony Volpe. The problem is Volpe has been hyped the way Yankee prospects are, and he's just not good. We're half a season in and Volpe's hitting 189. He's a liability defensively. He doesn't hit, he barely hits for power. His OPS slugging is like, I don't know, as long as like 350, terrible. When Cashman was asked about Volpe, he said, we're not shying away from Anthony Volpe. We believe in him. We're invested in him. And we know that there's a payoff there for us as long as, wait for it, we walk that tightrope with him. Word of the day. What does it mean to walk a tightrope with a player? It only means one thing. When do you send the player down or when do you decide to bench the player? The tightrope is when a slump is not a slump, it's actually a level of acumen. That is the hardest part about baseball because it's a game of failure. When do you cut the cord? And you're looking at a guy, again, someone I'm still in touch with, so I'm sorry, Jeremy, but man, you made it hard for us. We drafted Jeremy Hermida, the most beautiful lefty swing, hit a grand slam in his first at bat in the big leagues. He was going to be Ken Griffey. That's the type of player he was. Big hit for power, hit for average, win a batting title, and it just didn't happen for him. But we gave him hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of at bats. Coke, I don't know if you can get this quickly while we're here, the number of career at-bats that the Marlins gave Jeremy Hermida because we did not walk the tightrope correctly. We were not willing to acknowledge that our top five pick was not 
going to make it. We were not willing to acknowledge that we missed. No, but we were the Marlins. When you're the Yankees, you're supposed to have the financial power, the financial might. You're supposed to be able to decide sooner instead of doubling down or tripling down the way Cashman said during his media availability yesterday. Yeah, sometimes we double down and triple down. Why? We have to do that as a low payroll team, not you. You don't need to do it. You actually can do a George Steinbrenner, not as bad, but you should be more like George Steinbrenner. Half a season, do you think Volpe would still be the starting shortstop under George Steinbrenner? And that doesn't make it right or wrong, but it makes it a fact. The tightrope with Volpe. I'm not even sure how that ends. What do you think the Red Sox are gonna do with Chaim Bloom? They're not gonna fire him. It's hard for owners to fire people when the owners know that the people are doing exactly what the owners said and that the entire public knows that. We would find a way to fire managers and fire general managers and fire people. And we found a way to get away with it because while it was many times the owner dictating what was going to be done, the owner was smart enough to get buy-in from certain people in the organization in the front office in order that if something didn't happen the way he wanted it to happen, then blame could be assigned. But in the Red Sox organization, I don't view John Henry that way. I don't think John Henry has anybody who is telling him that what John Henry's views of the world are are correct. And I'm not sure that John Henry himself is telling Chaim Bloom which players to sign or not to sign. He is telling him what the payroll can be and what it can't be. And so if you do not spend the way they used to spend, all of a sudden you can't expect the same results. So what the Red Sox are going to do while they are right now a game and a half back of a wild card spot, that's all they are. Now they're chasing the Angels, they're chasing the Blue Jays, and they're chasing the Astros, and they're chasing the Yankees. I'm gonna leave the Orioles out because they're five and a half games up on the wild card. But when you have an opportunity like that, you've got to be a buyer at the deadline. The Red Sox will be active and they'll be active in a way that will not crush them financially. It will not empty their system, but they're gonna try Braves style moves from two years ago when the Braves won the World Series by bringing in Rosario and Soler, Duval, sort of under the radar, amazing trade deadline pickups that worked because they won. And if the Braves had not won, you would have looked at the Braves and said, what the hell did you do? You didn't do anything. You didn't help us at all during the deadline. That's the type of players I see the Red Sox going for, that if it works, great job. If it doesn't work, you did nothing, bad job. But that is the only level of flexibility that Chaim Bloom has right now. So the AL East is going to be a dogfight for the rest of the season. And as we watch what they do up to the deadline, keep in the back of your mind what's going on in the owner's mind or in the president's mind about the sale of the team, about the stadium situation of the team, about where they are in the luxury tax situation, because those things are what executives are thinking about. They're not just looking on the field and saying, wow, we need a lefty bat. Let's go get the best lefty bat. Let's empty the cupboard and take on five or $7 million more. That is not accurate of what teams do. So the AL East is an amazing tightrope. 
Even if you're not a baseball fan, it's sort of fun to watch, isn't it? Okay. What's next? Nothing. Personal pick of the day. We had an AL East matchup. I had the Rays beating the Orioles. I thought that went very well. Tyler Glasnow had a great game. I think he only gave up eight runs. Not bad. Aaron Hicks. Does that drive you crazy? Do you think that people always criticize me? Coke, a side note off the subject. I don't like when people would say, you traded away a guy who became a great player or you really missed it on that guy. All 30 presidents and GMs have traded away players who end up being good for the next team who weren't good for your team. That is life. Everybody has it. Yes, Aaron Hicks is hot. Fine. It doesn't mean that he was going to make it as a Yankee. We're 96 and 95. I better get to 100 wins before I get to 100 losses. Tonight, we've got the Mariners who are playing in Yankee Stadium, two teams who badly need a win. There's one problem that the Yankees have is that when Cole doesn't pitch and Judge doesn't hit, they have a hard time. Unfortunately, going for the Mariners is their ace, who, by the way, is better than any pitcher on the Yankees except for Cole. I'm taking the Mariners over the Yankees tonight at Yankee Stadium. If you're lucky enough to be going to the game, you're seeing a pitcher who we had. (laughs) Traded him so fast. I think we traded Luis Castillo five times. Anyway, they're 170 over the Yankees, which makes me slightly nervous at Yankee Stadium. But it's not like the Twins are playing at Yankee Stadium who can't win. We're taking the Mariners over the Yankees. All right, we come back. I did something strange with the movie that Coca questioned me whether or not I was going to review this and should I, but I wanted to because I saw a musical on Broadway and had not seen the underlying movie. And then I did, and I want to talk about both. And then we're going to talk about Vegas, baby, and the NBA moving to Vegas. And will Dame Lillard be the first player to join Vegas? Nah, we'll be right back. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you for being live with us. It's David Sampson, Matthew Coca. Every day, 8 a.m. Almost every day. Just about every day. I went last week to see Sweeney Todd with Josh Groban on Broadway. I love going to Broadway shows. You can say whatever you want. I love musicals. I love plays. And there's a lot of talent on Broadway. And I just love live theater. Sweeney Todd with Josh Groban, I didn't understand any of it. I had not seen the movie with Johnny Depp, the Oscar-nominated movie, the Oscar-nominated performance by Johnny Depp, directed by Tim Burton back in 2007, I think the movie was. I did not know the story. I just had never seen it. So the accents were so deep that I couldn't understand any of the words to the songs and didn't know the story. Cut to, I said to myself, I got to watch the movie. So I watched the movie. It's called Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. 
It won an Oscar for art direction. As I said, Johnny Depp was nominated. It's a story of a guy who likes to kill people with his blade, his barber blade, and he does it upstairs from a woman who makes pie out of the meat of the bodies of the people he kills. So they make cannibals out of people, and it's a revenge story about a guy who did something to put Johnny Depp, Sweeney Todd, in prison and make him come back as a nutty, crazy serial killer who sings. Tim Burton, if you like Tim Burton, does anybody not like Tim Burton? Tim Burton, his movies deserve to be seen. I apologize to you, Tim, that I had never seen this. I'm very glad I did. However, it proved to me, which doesn't happen often because normally the play or musical is gonna be better than the movie. In this case, I found the movie way better than the musical. Johnny Depp, way better than Josh Groban, way better. So if you're gonna do one of two, see the movie, Sweeney Todd, Demon Barber of Fleet Street. All right, wait to see is when I tell you something's gonna happen. If it does, we'll revisit it. You've heard me revisit it. If it doesn't, we'll revisit it. I don't wanna be like the other people in the media. I don't wanna be that with hot takes for no reason that you don't believe in, that you don't revisit when you're wrong. To me, it takes away your credibility, makes you look like an ass. So here's the wait to see for today. Vegas is getting a team. <gasps> Have I changed my mind about the Oakland A's? Nope. Vegas is getting an NBA team. Just you wait. We have to wait a bit for this to happen, but the NBA is going to expand to Las Vegas. And in anticipation of letting LeBron James be involved in the ownership of that team, which he's already said he wants to do. And the NBA is smart enough to keep LeBron James to replace Michael Jordan, who moved from GOAT to ownership. Now he sold the Hornets. Now they need the second GOAT to go into ownership. And he said he wants to be in Vegas. Good for him. God bless. Good luck. But they've already got a step in the right direction. There's someone named Tim Lewicki. Do you recognize that name? He runs a group called Oakview. If you're in Seattle, you recognize that name. He's part of the group that has completely redone, refurbished the Seattle arena where the Kraken play. He is someone who is putting in, not himself, but as part of his company, $10 billion. 10. I don't even think Dr. Evil can say that number. $10 billion into new development in Las Vegas. Not shocking, there's always new development in Las Vegas. Not shocking, it involves a casino and a hotel. There aren't enough casinos and hotels in Vegas, definitely need more. So he's doing hotel, gaming, entertainment, and wait for it, an arena. It's great. There's gonna be a basketball arena in the same place, in the same neighborhood as the hockey arena? Why wouldn't you put the NBA team in the T-Mobile arena? Hmm, interesting. I guess maybe they're Mickey Arison and Wayne Huizinga, where they start off playing together, but end up separately, one in Broward, one in Miami, because they hated each other and hated each other's locations. But in Vegas, the locations are a block away. 
or a minute away or a mile away. How can this happen? Well, Tim Lewicki gave you an idea of how it can happen. He said, we don't need any public money. It helps, is his quote, when you walk into a room and say to people, I do not need your money. Tim is CEO of a company who's trying to build an arena and you're now budgeting $10 billion for an entire district. Let me tell you something that you are going to do. Stop saying you don't need public money because you do and you're gonna get it. He clarified a little bit by saying there's no public money required at the onset, but that doesn't mean there's no public money required at the offset, as in offsetting your taxes, as in improving the infrastructure around your district, as in taking the tax proceeds in your tax increment financing district. Just you wait. The wait to see is about a team in Vegas, but the other, not an official wait to see COCA, but I promise you this is happening. You can't do a project like that without getting help from the public. And as you know from this show, help from the public comes in many different ways. Some of it is infrastructure, some of it is tax breaks, some of it is directly floating bonds that you get to use to build something. All of it adds up to public financing. Ask John Henry what not to do. John Henry stood up in Florida and said, I will build this stadium myself. And everyone applauded. And then he went asking for money and for tax breaks. And the officials said, forget it. You said you'd do it yourself. And then John Henry had to say, no, I didn't. Why is Tim Lewicki falling into this same trap? Don't do it. Just say what you're doing is good for Vegas. It's the number one live entertainment capital of the world. One arena is not enough, let's do two. Jim Dolan, hold my shorts. Yeah, he's doing his own arena with you too, the sphere. When is too much too much? Adam Silver is gonna find out, but it will be with an NBA team. Okay, Coca, how about some half-baked music? You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get into Twitter at David P. Samson. DMs are still open. I see as many as I can, respond to as many as I can, but not all of them, and I apologize. Instagram as well. I don't know if there's comments on TikTok, on the Nothing Personal TikTok channel, or where you review on Apple. Just find me. David, hi. It's fine. I mean, normally it's hello, David, or hey, David, but this was straight to the point. David, hi. Did you see what Dame Lillard said? Is this a player you would want on your team? Well, thank you for asking because I did see what Dame Lillard said and I was blown away. Let me give you the quote. This comes from sources around Dame. So is it possible that he didn't say it? For purposes of this conversation, let's assume he did. Dame Lillard has made it clear to the Trailblazers that he is not interested in playing for them if they are going to not be immediately competitive for a championship. He then went so far as to say that he doesn't wanna wait and he doesn't wanna rebuild, fine. 
Fine. Don't go any further though, Dame. He did. He doesn't want to continue to play with young players. He doesn't want to help them grow. He doesn't want to help them get to the point where they can win. He wants them to win now. Dame, why? Is that what you want attached to yourself? The best players can make young players and old players great and help you win a championship. Is it out of the question that a top draft pick this year can be a part, a championship part of a championship team? Are you sure when you go to a new team, if you demand a trade and you end up on Miami, are you not gonna wanna work with the young players? Forget it, not interested. Why would you want that reputation? If I am building a team of players, there are several attributes I'm looking for. I'm starting with skill. I'm able to deal with someone bad in the clubhouse if they're good enough. If you're not a all-star, all-NBA type player, Dame Lillard, third all-NBA team. If you're not making $46 million a year, Dame Lillard, two more years, about 46 per year, 47 per year. If you're gonna be that, you've gotta make everybody around you better, regardless of age. It is very bizarre to me. I don't want a player like Dame Lillard on my team, but boy, do I want his skill. You've heard people around Miami say, we didn't get Bradley Beal, but if we get Dame Lillard, we're good to go. We'll be happy. If not, Pat Riley's letting us down. Is Pat Riley letting you down if he doesn't take Dame Lillard? Knowing what Dame Lillard thinks? I don't know. When you're living with a player, it's a whole lot different than when you see him from a different clubhouse. You bring him in to your group. Sometimes players can become a thorn in the side. It used to be called cancer in the clubhouse. We don't say that anymore. It used to be a thorn in the side. You have to look for that. Dame Lillard has not proven to me that he's making anyone better. Is he a complimentary piece on a championship team? Yes. But is there a chance that the things he does, the things he says and the way he acts would make a team not gel? Would make a team not play well together and then not win a title? Yes. It is a complicated situation when you take on that amount of money from a player who is that unhappy in a league where player empowerment and player movement is off the charts, where players are deciding where they wanna go, controlling where they wanna go, demanding where they wanna go. And then when they get there, they're not winning because the team that's winning is a team that was built from the bottom up where the players have been together for years upon years and they don't go out and bring in the Dame Lillards of the world. So it'll be interesting to me to see what happens now. So my short answer to your question is, I can't answer. There are circumstances under which I want Dame Lillard on my team, but now there's a lot of circumstances under which I don't. So it will be fascinating to see what Portland does. Keep in mind, and I say this to all teams listening, to all of you executives out there, just because a player demands a trade doesn't mean you have to do it. <gasps> no way. Yes. 
All right. Last segment of the show is about what's going on right now in the North Atlantic. You're going to read a lot today from a lot of different networks. It's going to be live. It'll be on sports shows. It'll be on talk shows. It'll be on news shows. The Ocean Gate Titan is that submersible that's lost at sea. Five people on board, a pilot and four people, 250 grand each, a million dollars. You go down eight hours, two and a half miles down below. Hey, look, it's the Titanic. Hey, look, it's James Cameron. Hey, that can't be Bill Paxton, can it? No, probably not. You got to go up to see to space to see him. Is that you, Susie Amos? Oh, crikes. We've lost power. We've lost contact. We are screwed. I've got something to say about this. What bothers me and upsets me is something semi-simple. The effort that's being made to find these five people, I understand why there are resources being used. I understand why it's the lead story. I understand the frustration that the company has that they're not getting enough help fast enough because you're searching with the clock running out. It's like speed or it's like face-off when the bomb was going off with Casper Troy. They're running out of air in under 40 hours. And once you run out of air, that's it. And by the way, they can't even get out if they're at the surface, they need someone to get them out. It is extremely unlikely that they're alive. And if they are alive, it's extremely unlikely that they can be rescued in time. What is the responsibility of the government to search for and rescue these five people? There are people on both sides. Why are billionaire people spending their money to go down and risking their life? Screw them, let them die. Well, these billionaire people support us as politicians. We better show that we're there for them and we're gonna want more donations to our PAC. Therefore, we're gonna spend plenty of government resources to go find them. But when a migrant boat sinks, nobody's going anywhere. Everyone says thoughts and prayers. Sorry, 300 people died on a raft or on a boat or on a rowboat. Nothing we can do. We'll try to tell you, oh, it tipped over. See ya. Sorry. Good luck. This is not me being liberal or conservative. This is me talking to you about what it means, the business of government. You think King Charles III wants to get an update on the migrant boats? No, he doesn't want the migrant boats, but he wants an update on what's going on with the submersible. Keep me informed. What? what? Yeah, we couldn't find him again today. And then just this morning, everyone's prayers in their families answered. Now I'm talking about five people here, keep in mind, and it is an absolute nightmare. Nightmare, there's a father and son. I don't care whether you're wealthy or poor, when you lose someone in your family to any tragedy, it, money doesn't matter. People who are rich who lose someone in a plane crash, it hurts just as much as people who are poor. People who are rich who lose somebody in a submersible where they pay 250,000 to take the risk or in a skydiving accident or flying on a private plane, whatever the case may be, it hurts the same as when someone gets hit by a car walking. So please keep in mind that I am not giving you my opinions based on socioeconomic standing. I'm giving you my opinion based on what I view as my philosophy, which is the greater good theory. 
the amount of resources spent looking for five should be fewer than the amount of resources looking and saving 300. That's very, very bare bones what that theory says. There are arguments that, hey, five rich people ought to be saved because they can do more. Maybe it's someone who's gonna cure cancer. Maybe it's someone who's gonna give money to a scientist who will cure cancer, or maybe someone will get a politician elected who's gonna help cure cancer. What are five or six or 300 migrants gonna do other than further hurt an economy and strap its resources? I don't go that far. This morning, they heard a ding. In theory, every 30 minutes, someone in the submarine, either they're banging on the bathroom door inside the submarine, or they're banging on the submarine, trying to get a ding to hit the dong so that someone can find them and then somehow get them to the surface and somehow get it open so they can live. They can't find exactly where the ding and the dong is, not for lack of looking, I'm a little concerned here about what this is saying about us, about our country, about our world. You've got the Coast Guard who's doing statements. You've got Homeland Security involved. There's communications going on. The Canadians are involved. Everybody's interested. It's capturing the world. What part of this is capturing the world? Is it the insanity of going down to the Titanic, the irony? of looking at the wreckage of the Titanic and being among it permanently? Is it the, I would never do that no matter how rich I was, I can't believe they did, or I would love to do that, but I don't have the money and what an Elon Musk type space flex. What would have been our reaction if the Red Bull guy jumping from space didn't make it? Couldn't find him, disappeared in space. We sending up rockets? Let's find him. The clock will run out on the submersible. Not sure what can be done. And then people are gonna start asking and you're gonna see what the cost was of the search and rescue. Then you're gonna see compared to what the cost was of search and rescue for other such boats that go down with even more people. And then you as an audience, as a person, as a citizen, you have to decide what your point of view is. Which one was the better use of money? And if any or both, maybe that's the government's job. Maybe it's not. The only thing I will tell you is that when the government make its, makes its decisions about how to allocate its resources, when they have the discussions at the highest levels of government, I promise you, they say it's just business. And to the rest of the people, they say it's nothing personal. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.